Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Israel and Hamas at war. As it unleashes its response, Israeli military figures describe the weekend Hamas assault as Israel's 9-11. Almost 600 people have died in Gaza as electricity, food and other supplies are set to be cut off in a blockade. We've the very latest on this fast-moving conflict tonight. And later, it's budget day tomorrow. What can you expect back in your pocket? Israel has started imposing a complete blockade of the Gaza Strip, warning that no electricity, no food and no fuel will get through. It was ordered in response to Saturday's attack on Israel by the militant group Hamas. The surprise assault has been described as Israel's 9-11, with more than 900 deaths now confirmed. Around 600 people have died in Gaza after Israel retaliated with a wave of airstrikes. Tens of thousands of residents have also fled their homes. International aid agencies say they are responding to the humanitarian situation. Well, a short time ago, I spoke to news correspondent Sarah Coates in the Israeli city of Tel Aviv for the very latest from there. Hi, Claire. Well, of course, this is still an active situation and the death toll is rising on both sides. Here in Israel right now, authorities say at least 900 people are dead. So many more are missing and families are searching for answers, trying to find their loved ones. We do know that still uh, there are captives in Gaza. There are believed to be more than 150 hostages that were taken by Hamas. An extremely chilling statement from Hamas just a short while ago saying, that for every airstrike on the Gaza Strip, for every Israeli airstrike, one of these captives will be killed. So this is certainly not what anyone wants to hear. Israel is really working very hard right now to secure the release, to find the whereabouts of these people. Uh, US President Joe Biden, he actually issued a statement a short while ago saying that the US is working with its Israeli counterparts uh, in this hostage situation, using intelligence and using hostage specialists to try and bring these people home. So look, this is certainly one of the key missions right now for Israel to get these people out of Gaza. We're talking about elderly women, uh, mothers with babies and young people. So it's certainly a, a traumatic experience for everyone really here in the country who knows somebody that's been taken. Israel has ordered a total uh, blockade, a total siege of Gaza as aerial bombardments intensify on the Gaza Strip. What are we likely to see now in the coming hours and days? 
Yeah, well, look, Claire, we're still hearing really loud booms even here in Tel Aviv. This could be put down to the fact that it's the Iron Dome working overtime down in the south. Also, the pounding of this coastal enclave, which, of course, is Gaza, home to more than 2 million people. It is one of the most densely populated areas in the world. Uh, Hamas has just come out uh, to say that this blockade simply will not be tolerated. Israel's cut off water, electricity, gas, food. Uh, etc. to try and sort of starve, Israel, uh, starve Hamas out, star take away its power so that it cannot conduct any more of these horrific uh, crimes on Israeli, you know, civilians. So right now uh, Israel also says that it's stopping to do this door knocking, which is how it's known. It drops these little grenades on top of residential buildings before they are raised. It now says that its strategy has changed and there will be no longer any of these door-knocking uh, campaigns are taking place. So, look, it's certainly an extremely hor horrible time for these innocent people who are also in Gaza, who are often used as human shields by the terror group Hamas. OK, Sarah Coates, thank you for joining us from the Israeli city of Tel Aviv tonight. Sarah Coates reporting there. Well, rallies and vigils in support of both sides in the conflict have been taking place across the world. Tonight, several hundred pro-Palestinian protesters staged a demonstration at the Israeli embassy in Dublin. During the protest, red paint was thrown at the building by a man who scaled the fence. Well, to discuss all of this, I'm joined now by former Justice Minister Alan Shatter, Sinn Féin TD and Chief Whip Pork McLaughlin, and on Skype tonight, we're joined by Peace Studies Professor Paul Rogers from Bradford University in the UK and by Mustafa Barghouti from the Palestinian National Initiative. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. Um, Alan Shatter, to you first. Your reaction to what you've seen over the weekend, a Hamas attack that caught uh, Israel completely off guard and the bloodshed that we've now seen in recent days. What happened over the weekend was a horrific barbaric atrocity, reminiscent of the events that took place in 1930s Nazi Germany. Uh, you had a clear intent on behalf of a terrorist organisation to simply murder as many innocent civilians as they could possibly murder. Uh, they went in Stirat, one of the Israeli towns adjacent to Gaza, from house to house, murdering men, women and children. They shot people on the street. Uh, we know now the full details of the atrocity that took place in the uh, music festival that was taking place mm -hmm. on the Saturday evening into the Sunday morning. 260 bodies of young people have been found. Uh, this is literally reminiscent of what was happening to Jews in the course of the Second World War. The young people murdered at that event were getting on with their lives, doing no harm to anyone. In addition to the 260 murdered, we know that some women were viciously raped. They were shot after being raped. Uh, some were abducted. Some are now in Gaza. Uh, I live just five minutes away from Marley Park, where we have concerts uh, every summer. Mm -hmm. uh, can you imagine the horror in Ireland if a group of barbarians descended on Marley Park and simply murdered 260 young people? Th this is beyond belief. There's no political cause that can justify this. There's no political circumstances right. that can justify this. And just one thing, as I was coming in this evening, I've now learned that 100 bodies have been found in a kibbutz 
that has been liberated from Hamas operatives. Yeah, and we got the latest there on on the death toll in the region, and it's likely um, it's likely to to keep rising. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu saying Israel is at war and Palestinians will pay a heavy price. What do you believe is different about this? Because people in Palestinian territories would say that they've always felt like they are living in a war situation. This is how they felt they've been living for decades now. Israelis and Palestinians in Gaza are both the victims of Hamas. I mean, Hamas is an autocratic, fundamentalist, Islamic organisation funded and sponsored by Iran. They've no concern for the people of Gaza. The people in Palestine would say, uh, the pa Palestinian region would say they have also been victims of the Israeli state. No, they've no concern, Hamas, for people in Gaza. They know well, if they launch this campaign, that the Israeli government has no choice but to defend its citizens and take the action that's appropriate. The, the, the great courageous leadership of Hamas go hide in tunnels in Hamas when bombs are falling on Gaza. They wish and hope that as many Palestinians die as possible so they can use them for propaganda purposes. This is political obscenity. Do you, do you believe that this response, this retaliation, this air bombardment that we are seeing, the siege on Gaza and the blockade on Gaza is justifiable? The only reason there's ever been a blockade on Gaza is because of Hamas using materials to create weapons and bombs and sending terrorists into Israel. Where we are today, let's not forget where we are tonight. As you and I are sitting here tonight and Podrick McLaughlin is sitting here mm. beside me, rockets are raining into Israel. As I was driving in this evening, mm -hmm. rockets were being fired into what's known as the Jerusalem Corridor. Uh, and we the, are also seeing yes. so, air bombardment so, so um, from, is, from, from Israel, yes, Israel well, and I, we are seeing additional you're not, troops You're not seriously up. suggesting uh, that Israel should do nothing to defend its citizens. It should just say, please don't bomb us. Please don't abduct our citizens. Okay. Please don't rape our women. Please don't shoot our All children. Right. They have no choice but to defend themselves. And thankfully... Uh, Michal Martin, the Tornish, to recognise finally uh, on Sunday that Israel has a right of defence, as did every mm. other European Union state. I, I want to bring uh, Mustafa Barghouti in here, uh, leader of the Palestinian National Initiative, who is joining us on the programme. Mustafa, uh, thank you for being with us tonight. Um, Hamas has blamed the violence directly on Israeli actions. Uh, did Hamas carry out um, this in the name of all Palestinians? Is it being seen as a necessary act of resistance? That's what we have been hearing from the Palestinian side. Is that how it's being uh, viewed in Gaza and in the West Bank and elsewhere? Resisting military Israeli occupation, which has become the longest military occupation in modern history, is justified. Attacking civilians is not justified, of course. I am against killing any civilian, whether Palestinian or Israeli. But... You cannot dehumanize Palestinians as your guest has been doing. Uh, you cannot accept that Netanyahu would describe Palestinians as animals. It is unacceptable that Israel is, is, is conducting war on the people they are occupying. It is unacceptable by all means to impose sanctions on Palestinians in this manner, where 2.2 million people in Gaza are taken hostages denying them access to water, to electricity, to food, to baby milk, and to medications. Israel is punishing the whole Palestinian population, and not only in Gaza, also here in the West Bank. They've already closed 650 military checkpoints in, in, in West Bank, where Hamas is not governing. 
They've already killed 20 people here, in addition to almost 700 people in Gaza, and the number is rising. Is killing 140 children by bombarding them with Israeli airplanes and killing no less than 120 women, and this number will increase, is justified? If you say Israel has the right to defend itself, do Palestinians have the right to defend themselves? Of course, they should also be able to. But in reality, the root cause of what we see today is what Netanyahu denies, which is the continuation of Israeli illegal occupation of Palestinian land. The fact that this occupation has transformed into a system of apartheid. The fact that Netanyahu and his government blocked any possibility for peaceful resolution. He even refuses to meet with the man they described as a peace man who is President Abbas since 2014. Netanyahu aggravated the Israeli public against Oslo agreement to the level that Yitzhak Rabin was assassinated. And now Netanyahu is very happy because he is achieving his goal of distancing peace so far from any time before. So is Hamas, occupation justified? Mustafa Hamas, in a way, playing into you think to, to Israel's hands here. Do you, do you believe that Hamas that, did not exist here? No, Hamas did not exist 35 years ago. Hamas did not exist 40 years ago when Israel occupied us. At that time, they were accusing PLO of being an, uh, a, a terrorist organization. And even when PLO recognized Israel, Israel still refuses even to negotiate with Palestinians. Okay. The big question here is for how long one side will continue to oppress the other. Israel already conducted five wars on Gaza. 5,000 Palestinians were killed by Israeli bombardment. I don't want any Israeli or Palestinian to be killed. But is it justified to continue occupying another people? Is it justified that Netanyahu would stand up in the United Nations carrying the map of Israel, annexing West Bank, which is occupied, annexing Gaza Strip, annexing East Jerusalem, and annexing the, Gol the Golan Heights? This is a violation of international law. Okay. Dehumanizing Palestinians and delegitimizing Palestinians will not solve the problem. Nobody should be killed. No civilian should ever be killed. But you cannot say that Israelis have, should have all the rights mm. and Palestinians should be slaves of occupation and apartheid. Um, Alan, and I, I want to bring you back in on that, that in a way, while not a justification, what has preceded this, what Mustafa has referred to, what Palestinians and human rights organizations have said, what the UN have talked about as well, is, is human rights abuses, violation of international law perpetrated by an Israeli state against Palestinian people. Yeah. And when you see well, something like this blow yeah, well, up, there is, there is context yeah, to it. Well, what we've just listened to is fantasy and fiction that doesn't bear any resemblance to the truth. There have been five conflicts involving Gaza. Four of them, four of them were caused by rockets indiscriminately fired at Israeli civilians, cities and towns by Hamas. What about Hamas. Palestinian now, civilians? I, I didn't interrupt you. You're somewhere at the end of a television uh, screen. Don't interrupt me. Th th this is fantasy. When Israel left Gaza in 2005, and I was in Israel, 
The hope was Gaza would economically develop, there'd be prosperity, there'd be peace. But it's Hamas, no, just bear with me a minute now, because we've heard history written here. Hamas took over in 2007. <laughs> there have been no elections since. They're at war with Fatah and President Abbas, who daren't step foot in Gaza in case he's assassinated. And Hamas have initiated every single one of these conflicts. And finally, in the context of Mr. Bouti, I am one of those people who for many years have advocated a two-state solution and peace. And the problem, as he knows, mm. and as he's deliberately avoiding saying, is that Hamas is opposed to peace negotiations, is opposed to a two-state solution, is dedicated to Israel's uh, destruction, okay. and right. the Hamas Alan, charter, and the Hamas charter calls for the killing of Jews globally. Okay. And that is what we're dealing with here. Um, uh, Pork McLaughlin, to bring you in on this, uh, and I'll come back to you, Mustafa, in a moment. Uh, the EU stands in solidarity with Israel. That's what the EU's had to say. Uh, about it, which has the right to defend itself in line with international law in the face of such violent and indiscriminate attacks. Would you disagree with that statement that's been put out by the well, EU? First of all, to deal with uh, Alan Shatter's statement about fantasy, and obviously Foreign Minister Shatter writes about fantasy these days, so maybe he's an expert on the subject. I mean, he, he is one of the biggest apologists for the apartheid regime uh, in no, Israel. I don't apologise. I didn't interrupt you. I tell you. the truth, I didn't, unlike, I, I, I didn't, Shin Shin I didn't interrupt and you. Unlike you. I didn't interrupt you. Truth matters. I, 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 you Alan, spoke for about like five minutes without interruption. So, so let's deal with the, yeah. fa the fantasy. Truth and fantasy. I'd like to let Let's deal with the fantasy of Alan Shatter. Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, Beth Salem have all defined the Israeli state as an apartheid state internationally recognised as an apartheid state. Uh, if you look at the situation of uh, the settlements, the illegal settlements, I've seen them with my own eyes. I was in Ramallah, Hebron, Bethlehem, Jews, uh, Jerusalem. I've seen the apartheid wall. I've seen hundreds of thousands of illegal settlements, which are war crimes under international law. Alan Shatter has never criticised any of that. So, I mean, when I listen to him rightly, rightly condemn the outrageous, uh, horrific attacks on, on innocent civilians mm. by Hamas, he has never stood by uh, and confronted the Israeli state's oppression, occupation and apartheid of the Palestinian people. And therefore, he has no credibility because he has never done that. Okay. Well, you and see, Patrick, the problem is you don't recognise the complexity of the conflict. You don't recognise that Hamas is opposed to all resolution of the conflict. You don't recognise that Fatah and the PLO don't actually talk to Hamas. You don't recognise that Fatah and President Abbas on occasions are practically at war with Hamas. You don't recognise there's sadly and tragically a continuing conflict mm. because there's no capacity to bring about a peaceful resolution. I would love a peaceful resolution. I, unlike you, have been involved over the years talking to Israeli leaders, Palestinian leaders, uh, former President Arafat, President Abbas, the various negotiators, the complexity of the difficulty within the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is driven by the fact there's two separate Palestinian entities, you, one ruled by Hamas, okay. a totalitarian Alan, group, I need to ask and the you, other ruled do you by think Fatah. That's the, the only issue here, though, and we have heard about this about uh, an apartheid state where people are having land confiscated. There's been an escalation around that in, in recent months. Um, it's not just human rights groups, it's the UN has spoken out about this, about the flouting of international law. 
Do you accept that? And should there be an acceptance if there's condemnation on one side that there's condemnation on the other as well? Israel isn't an apartheid state. Have you visited Israel? I haven't been to Israel. I have visited Israel. Now, now, okay. so if you visit Israel, you see people of all backgrounds, religion, nationalities, Travelling together on buses together. There's more. There's more. There's more. I don't think that's what Arab Israelis say, and I don't no, think that's what Palestinians say. No, it is actually. It is actually the Arab citizens, the 1.5 million say, Arab citizens of Israel, have full freedom okay. and democratic rights of a nature that do oh, not exist in a single Arab state across I, I the do, Middle at East. At this point, I want to bring Paul Rogers into the conversation. Uh, Paul. Um, this was phrased, this has been phrased as a surprise attack, certainly um, unprecedented, I believe, in scale. But do you see it as something of a surprise or were tensions in the region reaching boiling point? There's certainly been tensions rising for some time. The Netanyahu government is certainly a, uh, an ultra-nationalist government. And in many ways, it's seen by many people as being really quite extreme. And the tensions have grown really very strongly I was certainly caught by surprise by the sheer extent of what Hamas has done. And that has deeply affected the Israeli military and the intelligence services. They were caught in a very major way by surprise. The loss of life is appalling and now rising very strongly on the Palestinian side. People talk about it being the Israeli equivalent of 9-11. In fact, it's at least 10 times worse in proportional loss of people. But at the same time, um, I think the Netanyahu government, understandable may be, but is making exactly the same mistake than Bush and Cheney did after 9-11. You remember how it seems that they'd succeeded in getting rid of uh, al-Qaeda and in that, the Taliban in about three months. They went on to Iraq, and there you had the Saddam Hussein regime apparently uh, broken after three weeks. And what have we had? 20 years of war in Afghanistan and the Taliban come out on top, and in Iraq and in Libya, basically two incredibly volatile states in Libra's case, quite disastrously so. And I think the issue is that while it may be almost impossible to envisage restraint by the uh, Israeli government under these circumstances and their grievous circumstances, the problem is this will not in any sense bring peace. Hamas knows this, is expecting a very strong Israeli response. And of course, with what 45% of all the inhabitants of Gaza under the age of 15, what you're going to produce is another sort of echelon of people who are bitterly opposed mm. to what Israel has done and are determined to find ways around it. And so in any way, this is actually a time for a degree of leadership and wisdom, which I'm afraid Netanyahu is incapable of showing. It is just possible, just possible, that if some sort of national government is formed in the short term, then maybe others will have a stronger voice. But I don't see this. I think it's an appalling situation. But we must remember that this kind of response, uh, creating a sort of, a, um, I, mean, I mean, it amounts to sort of a, a huge attack on civilians. And now they're not going to get the sort of the, even the kind of warning, you're going to have many people killed. The Israelis found in Protective Edge, the uh, campaign that was back in 2014, that they'd lost some of their best soldiers. Uh, they did, they'd lost about 80 of them. In response, the bombing killed about 2,000 Palestinians, including 400 children. It did not bring peace. Uh, if Israel goes to war on the place planning now, that will not bring peace. Uh, there's a need for the, I hate to use the term international community because it doesn't exist in such, the needs 
there needs to be a period where people will try and speak with a degree of wisdom and long sight. The problem is that Hamas is looking long term and it's basically looking the next 20, 25 years. And it believes ultimately it will be victorious uh, under yet Netanyahu. The Israelis believe there's no alternative to clamping down on it. It will not work, just as the war on terror didn't work, I'm afraid. Uh, Mustafa, to bring you in here on this and uh, I suppose any calls for de-escalation, you'd imagine that Israel are likely to ignore right now, certainly in the coming days. We've already um, heard from uh, the UN on it, um, on that tonight, uh, a call for restraint. Um, where do you believe this goes from here now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Well, if you allow me just to say a few words about why Israel is a system of apartheid, and then I will respond to your question. Uh, let me remind uh, everybody with the fact that Israel is the only country in the world which has segregated roads inside the occupied West Bank, where we, the Palestinians, are prohibited from using highways. And if we drive or walk on them, we can be put in jail for six months. They are exclusive for Israelis segregated roads. This is not a fantasy. This is the reality. Israel confiscates 85% of the water of the West Bank. They allow Palestinians to use no more than 50 cubic meters per capita per year, while Israeli illegal settlers are allowed to use 2,400. Israeli GDP per capita is $56,000. Palestinian GDP per capita in Gaza is no more than $1,000. Yet, we are obliged to buy products at Israeli market price. This is apartheid. This is a system of oppression. 62% of the West Bank is prohibited for us. We cannot build a school, a clinic, a house without Israeli permission, which we never get. Okay. Um, but what is the way out of this? Yeah, the that... way out of this is to de-escalate immediately. Immediate ceasefire. Immediate, immediate exchange of prisoners. All these Israelis who are held in Gaza should be coming home in exchange of all Palestinian prisoners who are in Israeli jail, including some people that I know that have been in jail for 43 years. Accusing Palestinians of being terrorists reminds us of the fact that the South African apartheid system accused Mandela of being right. a terrorist. Okay. They accused people who struggled for freedom in Ireland as being terrorists. This has to stop. All right. Um, and justice is what we need. Okay, thank you. Uh, 
um, Mustafa, for your thoughts um, on that. Pork, to, to, to bring you in on this, um, where does the international community go to from here? Because we've seen, as I mentioned, that EU statement saying it strongly defends Israel, despite, I think, Ireland among a, a few countries calling for, you know, a de-escalation to be inserted into that, that statement. It has not happened. So what can happen from now? Because we've seen the way the world rallies when it came to, you know, the situation between Ukraine and Russia and elsewhere. So what happens here and how, how I suppose, do we affect uh, any change in Ireland? Well, we, we need to see an end to hostilities immediately. Uh, we need to see an urgent intervention from the international community uh, in terms of a whole uh, international law. I mean, I, I talked about uh, the illegal settlements. There are at least three ministers in the Israeli government who live in illegal settlements. These are war crimes under international law. Uh, these are ethnic cleansing under international law. So international law must be upheld, must be protected. Uh, there must be consistency of application of international law to all sides. What do you think is required from Hamas now? Well, uh, an end to hostilities immediately. The return of those that have been uh, uh, kidnapped immediately. Uh, and of course, on the Israeli side, the same. You have blanket bombing of Gaza. You have the siege of Gaza, uh, an open-air prison, the biggest open-air prison uh, in the world. So there needs to be an urgent end to hostilities. And the international community uh, needs to urgently now uh, protect international law uh, get people round the table and have a just and lasting settlement. That's fair to the Israeli people and to the Palestinian people. By the way, the two-state solution is in tatters if you look at the situation in the West Bank, uh, be it Gaza or the wider West Bank, that are totally disconnected from each other. So we, we urgently now need to have an international intervention uh, that's consistent uh, if we're to have credibility across the entire world in this scenario. Uh, those international interventions have not happened really in the past or haven't happened at the pace, Alan, that people say should when we see this breakout in violence, the conflict that has been ongoing um, in, in, in the region. So what needs to happen now? Would you agree with that, that there needs to be a strong intervention and a de-escalation of the situation? I would love to see the situation de-escalate. I'd like to see uh, Hamas end their barbaric uh, murder of Israelis. I'd like to see would you the, like to the see release of all hostages. And that on, bo on, but, and that on both sides with regards to the air bombardment and, no, and the, the blockade problem, in the oh, region look, of Gaza that we are seeing right now. Look, what's happening is horrendous. Hamas wants it to happen because they see the death of Palestinians, unfortunately, as creating a huge difficulty in resolution of issues between Saudi Arabia and Israel. Mm -hmm. The hand of, of Iran is behind all of this. Iran wants to see Israel eliminated, wants to maximise conflict so in the area. Stop, Alan? But what's depressing about all of this, what Paul leaves out of his narrative, what Mr Barghouti leaves out of his narrative, is I come back to one very basic thing. Hamas has no interest in a resolution. They have no interest in peace. They're opposed to a two-state solution. They're dedicated, dedicated right. to the elimination of the Israeli state. The Islamic fundamentalists who run a brutal regime. And if Gaza is a prison, the prison waters are Hamas. All right, well, there we will leave it. Um, 
That is a view, I think, strongly on the Palestinian uh, side that would be um, rejected. Uh, but this conversation is likely to go on in the coming days and uh, if not weeks. So there we will leave that for now. My thanks to Alan DePaul and Mustafa Pork is staying on with me to talk about tomorrow's budget. So do stay with us. Welcome back, Sinn Féin TD. Porrick McLaughlin is still here with me. I'm also joined now by Craig Hughes, political correspondent with the Irish Daily Mail and consumer journalist Sinead Ryan. We are talking a look ahead to the budget, I suppose. Um, and Craig, where are, we, where are we at now? Usually all the kites have been flown, all the leaks are out. Is everything out at this point? Will there be any surprises at all tomorrow? Uh, within reason. There's some um, significant changes tonight. I mean, one of the key pledges from... Uh, Green Party Minister for Children, Radhika Gorman, was to introduce another 25% cut in childcare fees. Um, it looks not like they've, that they've got that over the line, um, but it'll only come into place in uh, next year in 2024. Um, I think the trade-off seems to be, from my reading, is that the increase in welfare payments and, and pensions is going to be €12, Euro, so a bit lower than people might have expected or might have hoped for. Um, and there's some other significant movement as well. The hot school meals is going to be expa expanded quite significantly to hundreds of more schools. Uh, free school books to second level students um, in, in first, second and third years. So again, significant development. They had been wondering if they could do that for all second level students, but they've, they've had to make a slight compromise there. And I guess the big one that, that you'll see coming out from, from Simon Harris, the Minister for Further and Higher Education, is that registration fees for, for third level, uh, they're going to be reduced by 50%, so €1,500 Euro for families earning less than uh, 100,000 euros a year and, and, and 500 euros beyond that. So. All right. On the subject of um, the mortgage interest relief, uh, people worst hit by the, the ECB rate hike mm. could get about 20% of that back. Is that how they're looking at targeting it? Yes, uh, and it'll, it'll be a once-off measure, so it'll just be for one year. Now, we're still waiting to see the nuts and bolts of that, but we, we're, we are told that there will be a cap of around 1,500 euros on that. OK. Sinead, to bring you in on this, uh, it may come as a relief to hard-pressed homeowners, but it will be a targeted approach. That's what we're likely to see when it comes to mortgage interest relief. There's been an awful lot of pressure coming from opposition benches um, on the government to do something around it. Mm. It was abolished for very good reason um, nearly a decade ago uh, because it's very difficult to do this well. And I feel if they're going to target it, you would have to imagine that the targets for any relief would be <clears throat> those uh, who are on tracker mortgages or variable mortgages. Now, <laughs> the tracker mortgage people are at the stage in their mortgage now where they benefited from the best part of 15 years of ultra-low interest rates. Uh, and their mortgages are pretty much... You know, a lot of them are gone now or, or very low. Well, there's payback in a very big way, though, isn't there? Because yeah, of the, the rate yeah, rises that we've seen. I know, but hold on. Like, the people that did the right thing and locked in and fixed their loan, do you know, I, it doesn't look as if they're going to get anything out of this. Mm -hmm. So so I'm not Although sure it's paying, entirely... They are paying lower interest rates right well, now. Well, not necessarily. I mean, I fixed a mortgage last year. I'm, my rate is as high as anybody now. So, you know, I, I don't accept that. And I think there will be pushback on it. Um, it in terms of you'll get a me too out of this, you know, what about this and what about this? Everybody's paying high rates now um, because the only people who are not are people who fixed the mortgage 
three or four years ago, and they're up. For, they're going to be up for renewal now in the next year okay. or so. So, so uh, you think that, this is actually a move that'll divide the public? Yeah, I do. Yeah, Port, do you agree with that? That this could be quite divisive. I know from Sinn Fein's point of view, you wanted it universal, um, but again, it wouldn't be targeting all mortgage holders. It's just going to be people on those variable rate or are on tracker mortgages. No, we, we do believe, in, and Pierce Doherty's argued this for months, I mean, the government are, are catching up. It's similar with rent rebates, uh, uh, you know, uh, across a whole range of interventions. The government, when we've initially raised it, said it couldn't be done. Um, if they're listening, then we welcome that. But, I mean, the, the big focus uh, on this budget has to be on the housing crisis. That, that's where the big fo focus has to be. Sinn Féin has put forward that we would build 21,000 uh, houses. I think it's about 7,000 uh, or more beyond government. That's where the big focus has to well, be. Well, let's actually, Craig, are we likely to get anything around housing targets at all tomorrow? Uh, housing targets won't or change. Or does that just fall into your housing for all kind of updates on where we're at? And is that the way the government are managing this in terms of uh, it, uh, reaching or not reaching When it targets? comes to housing targets, they'll be revised um, in line with the census data. So there's a, there's a study going on by the ISRA at the moment that'll be published in the next couple of months. That, that'll do that. But there is um, a, a move to put money into an infrastructure fund um, that, that'll kind of be counter-cyclical. So if there's, if there's a downturn in the economy, they can turn to that fund to kind of stimulate um, infrastructure projects. So we may see an announcement around yeah, that because, tomorrow. Yes, because there has also been a suggestion of kind of pumping more money in, into the Land Development Agency as well. So whether that will form part of Budget Day um, announcements tomorrow or in the next few months, we'll have to wait and okay. see. Okay, energy credits, they're likely to be back, but not in the scale yeah. that we saw them last year, Sinead. No, but there seems to be edging upwards uh, by the hour. Uh, so we'll we'll see what comes out tomorrow. What are we hearing? Uh, well, we were thinking two hundred last week, four hundred now, and potentially maybe even a little bit more. Um, I, you know, the difficulty that people have with that is um, that again, it's not a targeted measure, so everybody who has an electricity supply will get it. Uh, so it's a little bit unfair uh, on some people, especially lower-income households who spend a disproportionate amount of money on their energy. Um, so uh, the other problem with it, of course, is that it's, you know, comes in under that banner heading of helicopter money. You're just dumping money in people's mm -hmm. accounts effectively. And um, the problem with it is that it's a very short-term measure. Now, mm -hmm. it won't be unwelcome. People really needed it last year and they got it and they were very happy with it. Um, but how long do you keep doing that? I mean, you know, energy prices are going to remain high for the time being. There's just going to come another cycle where we're saying more please and more please. And it's never enough. Uh, so I'm not sure how you tackle mm -hmm. that any better, but certainly in terms of, of dropping kind of the, the odd splash of money into people's uh, energy bills doesn't really solve the underlying problem of the energy prices and why they're so high. And, the, and really how, how the, even though we have a lot of competition in this market, why we cannot seem to get prices down. Yeah, and we keep consistently hearing um, it's because of a, a number of factors and how we, we source our energy and all of those things that the prices are high and will remain high, Porrick. Do you accept what Sinead is saying that if you have an energy credit uh, given universally, that those who really need it and pay, you know, a, a lot on their bills in comparison to what they're actually earning will take the hit there? Yeah, and what, what Sinn Féin has proposed now uh, in last year's budget uh, and in this year's that we need to return electricity prices to what they were uh, in the summer of 22. Um, and that's what's been done across Europe. I mean, other European governments have done this. Uh, there's been a real failure, uh, and I agree with Sinead about this. So would you say, don't bother with the credit? 
would Sinn Féin say that that credit is no, not No, we would needed. do it differently. If you, were, if you had the budget tomorrow now, would you bother with the credit? We, no, we, we would do it differently and it would save people more money. We would return prices back to what they were before uh, the conflict and we've budgeted for this now in two budgets. But just, just to say in this, there's been a real failure to deal with the energy companies. Mm. I mean, the windfall tax has been very, very limited. Uh, there's been huge profiteering. And I think people are furious at energy companies profiteering on the back of the crisis. So what we would do is what's been done across Europe is bring it back to the levels. Cap uh, prices, essentially. Yeah. Uh, Craig, with all of this, is there a theme here that we're seeing from government, which is these one-off payments, these little boosters, everyone, you know, gets something and gets a bit, like we're, we're, we're seeing double welfare payments, something in Christmas and in January. I, I think uh, double double child benefit. Yeah, I, I think That's it's, the way it's certainly it. geared, geared towards families when you look at helping people who are going back to school, whether it's through the books. Mm. Um, and and then if you've got kids, kids in college, childcare. So I think it's a real attempt by this government to perhaps win back voters that they might have been losing to Sinn Féin, this, this kind of younger cohort of voters that they might have been alienated from for the last while. OK, well, do stay with us because we'll be talking more about Budget 2024 and what is in it uh, for families. We'll be hearing from Bernardos on that. Do stay with us. Welcome back, Porrick, Craig and Sinead are still here with me. I'm also joined now by the CEO of Bernardo, Suzanne Connolly. Suzanne, you're welcome along to the panel tonight. Uh, we're talking about uh, families and, and what the government is likely to do for them in the budget tomorrow. Do you believe it's going to be a family-friendly budget from a Bernardo's point of view? Well, we certainly hope, hope so. I mean, certain things we would welcome and we really welcome the, the free school meals that is going to be extended. That is really important for children. We think the, the fact that books are now going to be free for the first three years of secondary school is really to be welcome. We'd like it to have been for all of secondary school, but we recognise this is really good progress. We're disappointed that it looks like the social welfare increases are going to be just €12. Euro. Mm. And if you're a family struggling, that just really isn't enough. I mean, I was at one of our centres today, and as you walk in, you know, there, there is the, the food parcels for families. I mean, that's, that's the reality for families at the moment. So €12 Euro is just... Isn't, isn't sufficient. What would you have liked to have seen? We were hoping for 25. For? The increase. So, and we, we weren't the only ones who were asking for that within the sector. It was to try to make it in some way relevant in terms of the cost, of, the cost of food at the moment. Food, heat, clothes, shoes, the sort of things that are daily essentials mm. for families. So while we think the government is making an effort, possibly there isn't enough understanding of how much families are really struggling out there. I mean, we know in our most recent survey, which was just in May, and this was a national representative sample, 24% of families were saying they were worried about the capacity to meet the needs of their children for the next six months. You, you, you talk about the stress of, of family life. What sort of stresses are you seeing in people coming and accessing your services? And maybe also, what do you imagine are the stresses of people who are not accessing your services but trying to get through day-to-day -day as best they can with their family. Yeah, we need to recognise that families can have stresses to do with, you know, parental separation, domestic violence, parental, poor mental health, all those really difficult things. Housing is a major mm. issue. And then you're worried about ends meet. You're worried about mm. food on the table. You're skipping meals yourself. You're worried about, can you afford another pair of shoes for your child? Those sort of things are really, really difficult. In Bernardus, what we try to do is we're, we're a welcoming space. There's food available. 
There's, you know, we help with advocacy in terms of things that might be happening with mm. housing. We're there when there's very difficult situations where you've got parents who have separated living in the same house because there's no housing. So the reality for families out there is very, very tough. Yeah. Let's talk about that, Craig, that 12 euro in, in weekly increase, lower possibly than people may have predicted. You're saying that there's other, you know, uh, funding being allocated for childcare and mm. elsewhere, but still on those core welfare increases that always form the top line of a budget, we're not likely to see maybe the rises that some groups like Bernardo's would be hoping for. Yeah, but you have to remember as well, like the, the government has to make difficult choices when it comes to budget time and they've already gone above and beyond their spending rule. So they, in, in one side, they're getting flack from that, from the budgetary wa watchdogs by saying you need to be cautious around inflation, not to put too much money back 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 into, into the economy. But at the same time, they have to balance these competing needs of introducing new policies and, and new measures, such as reducing childcare costs or extending um, the school meals. So it, it's a di very dif difficult balancing act. Like when one minister I was talking to earlier said there is a bit of concern that they might already be going too far. So they had to draw the line somewhere. It's always going to be winners and losers on, on budget day. Um, of course, there's people who would like liked it to be more welfare and pension increases, but I think they've had to make a trade-off somewhere and that seems to be where it has been. This yeah, it's interesting as well because we're going back to the point that instead of raising core rates, what we're seeing is this uh, money being given kind of across the board to people in the form of energy credits and other things, Sinead. But always comes up um, with child benefit increases and the like that we, it, it should be, you know, it should be targeted and maybe that double payment shouldn't be given uh, to everyone. But that's a difficult thing to do, isn't it? And it's hard to do that right across I, the I'm board. Not, I'm not sure that it is, but we've never managed to do it. Um, and, and the easiest way and the quickest way to do that is by taxing child benefit because the whole sway the people in this country who don't pay tax because they don't earn enough money to be in the tax net. So if you tax a benefit, uh, then if you, know, if you don't pay tax, you, you can get the whole benefit and people who pay tax at the 40% rate get a tax to 40%. I, I really don't see why it's that difficult. However, I know there's a political uh, side to it. Uh, for some women, this is their only income. And it is the only money they can call their own money to spend mm -hmm. on their own children. And if they're in dif difficult circumstances where that's uh, an issue within their family, uh, I, I think that it that is more the reason that it is a universal benefit than anything else, you know, um, because, I mean, these things can be done. And I think that lots of families, and particularly those uh, on the poorer side, will very much welcome the very simple, straightforward measures like the free school mm -hmm. meals, the books... We saw the primary books coming in during mm. the year. Transport being cut in half now, up to 25 roads. That's really important Practical stuff. measures that Really will simple, practical measures be welcomed. That, that people get. Not right. kind of complicated tax credits and reliefs and all that. Just the basic stuff okay. uh, to let them live their lives. People would still better. say on the services front and um, that, that, you know, there, there, are huge, there are huge gaps yeah. and that people would prefer to pay more. I think polls have shown this, Porrick, that people don't want the tax breaks, they want better services. What would you say to that? Because even within Sinn Féin's uh, budget plan, you've tax breaks kind of across the board there, be it USC or be it, be it other uh, breaks to, to working families. Well, we, you have to find the balance. I mean, we have a cost of living crisis, so we mm. need to help uh, families to get so through. So should the... money be ploughed into services? Like, what's Sinn Féin's view of that? Because well, fundamentally, that, that, that has uh, been the argument. But, no, but yet, Yet you'd like to see some tax breaks as well. No, but f fundamentally, and if you look at uh, our, our, our budget proposals uh, launched by uh, Pierce Doherty and Rose Comey Walsh, our finance spokespersons, uh, last week, it's one that really focuses on housing, investment in housing. This is a fundamental society issue. I mean, we, we have literally torn up 
the contract that we have with younger generations. They can't put a roof over the head. They can't afford the rent. So we're focusing on that heavily. Mm. We're, we're, we're focusing on, you know, that particular area. What do you think? I, I presume you'd welcome free school books. Oh, and a reduction and, in college fees Yeah, there. I mean, like we, we had a document here. Our, our children's spokesperson is Kathleen Function. She launched it uh, here in the last 24 hours. Uh, there's about a billion investment. By the way, it's not just childcare, it's health. It's mm. the holistic approach. Right. Health, education, social protection, all of those areas to try and tackle the issues. I, I want to come to you, Suzanne, on the increased demand for your services. There's a big waiting list at the moment, isn't there, for all the services? Is that up to you know, six months, months long yes. that people have to wait. Yeah, and with that in mind, do you think that there could be, apart from, you know, giving a bit of money here and there, that the, the, the shift needs to go on maybe providing more um, to help relieve these waiting times for people who need access to help and access to services? Absolutely. I mean, we would love to be in a position in Bernardo's where there wasn't a waiting list for six to 12 months for our services. Mm -hmm. And we know that when we can offer services to families, it makes such a difference to their daily lives. I mean, you're talking about children who, who, who aren't leaving their bedroom. So we're able to work with them to ensure that the, the child gently, maybe over three visits, will come out of the bedroom. And then over time, that child will then go to school. Mm -hmm. And we're not in a position where we can offer that service to a lot of children because there isn't the resources. So we would love to see across government commitment to more family support services. And then you can ensure that families get the services like we, in their homes, in schools, in their communities. And in that way, you would reduce the CAMS waiting list. You would ensure that their children don't get into trouble with the law, which we know is a big, is a big issue. And, you, and they're in a position where they get the care and nurturing that they need so they can contribute to society, do well in school. So please invest in services. Mm. Uh, finally, Craig, are we likely to see, I guess, any surprises? Usually there may be something on the day um, as a, a headline grabber. Is there likely to be anything that we haven't already heard about? Yeah, I'm not sure. You don't know. <laughs> yeah, we'll How see if I'm surprised tomorrow. <laughs> Is anybody saying there will be something yeah. else? No, we don't know. We probably have all the information now. We will bring it to you, of course, tomorrow. We have a budget special, so do stay with us uh, tomorrow night. My thanks to all our panellists tonight. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can also find us on Instagram and on TikTok. But from all the late team here, good night. Take care. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.